Russ is in Sunnyland this morning. He is teaching there uh, for, for me, which is wonderful. We actually moved yesterday, and so that is an amazing, wonderful gift um, that he is preaching. I, the message you're going to hear today, I preached last week in Sunnyland, so I didn't have to prep another message this week, so it was a wonderful gift uh, for me um, that he agreed to, to teach there this week, so thank you so much to him. Um, let me just, before I get started, let me just pray for our message time, and then we'll dive in. God, we just thank you so much for this morning, and I thank you for this place. It's good to be back and to be in this room and see old faces and also see new faces. And God, I just pray now that as we open up your word, that as we explore it, God, that you would speak, that our hearts would be transformed, that that we would leave here different people than when we came in. And God, I just pray that every word that comes out of my mouth this morning would not be from me, but from you. Uh, Holy Spirit, just come and have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was the year 1519, and Hernan Cortez, with some 600 Spaniards, 16 horses, and 11 boats, had landed on a vast inland plateau called Mexico. The Spanish conquistador and his men were about to embark on a conquest of an empire that had some of the world's greatest treasures. Gold, silver, and precious jewels were just some of what this treasure had to offer anyone who succeeded in their quest to obtain it. But with only 600 men, none of whom had put on protective armor, conquering an empire so extensive in its territories could only be undertaken by a man with a death wish. This daring undertaking, though, was made even more impossible by the fact that for more than 600 years, conquerors with far more resources at their disposal, who attempted to colonize the Yucatan Peninsula, never succeeded. Hernan Cortez was well aware of this fact, and it was for this reason that he took a different approach when he landed on the land of the Mayans. Instead of charging through cities and forcing his men into immediate battle, Hernan Cortez stayed on the beach and he awoke the souls of his men with emblazoned speeches. His speeches were designed to urge on the spirit of adventure and invoke the thirst of lifetimes of fortune amongst the troops. And his speeches bore fruit for what was supposedly supposed to be just a military exploit now ended up becoming this, had this appearance of extravagant romance. The the men were just so geared up. It wasn't just about military exploits anymore. It was like their purpose, their passion was to go and take on this, uh, the Yucatan Peninsula. But ironically, it would only be just three words which Cortez murmured that would change the history of the new world. As they marched inward to face their enemies, Cortez ordered, burn the boats. It was a decision that should have backfired. For if Cortez and his men were on the brink of defeat, there wasn't an exit strategy in place to save their lives. Remarkably, though, the command to burn the boats had an opposite effect on his men because now they were left with only two choices, die or ensure victory. And fight they did. Now, if you can ignore maybe some of the sins of European colonization, I think the tale of burning the boat sets up really well for what we're going to talk about this morning. You see, what made this strategy so effective is that Cortez made sure that there was total allegiance to his plan. You see, in order to make sure his men gave their all, to make sure they were all in with the mission that was before them, there was no plan B. 
See, so often in our lives, what ends up happening is that we step out with boldness to attempt something. We might try something. We might even take a risk with something. But in the back of our mind, there's a plan B. Well, if this doesn't work out, I can just fall back on this. I can always go back and do this other thing if this thing doesn't work out. And the same thing, I think, happens in our relationship with God. So often, I think, in the church, we do not go all in with God. We might use words to say that, that our complete allegiance is with Jesus, that we might say we are all in for him, but also often, we've not burned the boat, so to speak. And we go into our relationship with God halfway, half-hearted. This morning, we are in week two of our series, Bold. Everyone say bold. bold. That was weak. Everyone say bold. bold. That's better. And in this series, we're talking about how to live the bold life that Christ calls us to live. Last week, if you missed it, uh, Russ was here talking about a bold faith in a world that is full of fear. That because of everything that's going wrong in our world, so often we're just full of fear. But Jesus doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us instead to have a bold faith, a, a bold trust in him no matter what. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the second step of that bold faith, and it's the idea of having a bold allegiance, a bold allegiance. It's about having an all-or-nothing attitude when it comes to Jesus. The question we're going to ask is this. Are you willing to burn the boats and go all in in your relationship with Jesus? And where I want to camp out this morning is a passage found in the Old Testament back in the early parts of the Bible. And I think that you'll find many similarities to the story we're going to read to the story of Cortez and his men. Now, before I read the passage, let me just set it up a little bit. In the Old Testament, uh, in, back in the Old Testament days, there were these guys called the prophets. And, and the prophets were people who spoke for God. Now, if you were um, here in the fall, uh, we, we did a series called Jonah. Jonah was a prophet, right? He was a guy who, who spoke for God. He was, God put them on a mission to speak uh, God's word to the people in their midst. Now, one of the more famous prophets was a guy by the name of Elijah. And Elijah was not an ordinary prophet. God used Elijah in some amazing ways. There was miracle after miracle that happened. One of the famous stories with Elijah is that there was a, a group of people that worshipped another god called Baal. And Elijah has this moment where he stands up to these people and, and Baal is proved to be worthless. And God shows up and does something amazing. And because of things like this, Elijah was famous. He was like a really famous guy, really famous dude in the Old Testament. And one day, Elijah is praying, and he's praying to God, and God speaks to Elijah, and God tells him, hey, Elijah, I want you to go and find this guy named Elisha, and I want Elisha to be your successor. I'm going to take you out of this earth soon, and I want Elisha to come after you. He is the one that I want you to train, that I want you to apprentice, because one day, he's going to end up being the prophet of God. And so in the book of 1 Kings, we see this interaction that happens between Elijah and Elisha. Now, those are very close. I'm going to do well at trying to make sure that I don't get tongue twisted on those. But Elijah comes to Elisha in the scene in 1 Kings. And in this scene, Elijah approaches Elisha and says, hey, will you come with me? God has got a mission for you. Will you come and follow me? And so we're going to pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. You can follow along. Oh, that didn't go through very well. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, we'll just read that together, and then uh, we'll go from there. 
It says, So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. So here's what's just happened. Elijah has approached Elisha. He throws his cloak around him, which is Elijah's way of saying, hey, I want you to come and be my apprentice. I want you to come and learn from me. As I follow God, I want you to learn everything that I'm gonna do. And Elisha then leaves his ox, his oxen, and says to him, let me just say goodbye to my family and I will come to you. Now Elijah responds strangely and he says, go back, what have I done to you? And when he says this, what he's saying is this, hey man, this thing that I asked you, this thing that I've asked you, this is not from me, but this is from God. You can do what you wish. There is no skin off my nose if you want to disobey God. It is not up to me. This, this message that you're going to come with me, this is from God. And so that's when he, when he says, go back, um, what have I done to you? This is not Elijah's doing, this is God's doing. God is the one who is behind this. Now, Elisha does something interesting here. In verse 21, we read that he took his yoke of oxen and he killed him, killed them. And he burned the plow to cook the meat of the oxen fed it to the people. Now here's something that you need to know. 12 oxen in that day and age, that was a ton of oxen. See, Elisha was not just some poor farmer. Having that many oxen meant that Elisha was rich. He was from a rich family. They had some cash in their midst. And so there's this moment for Elisha when Elijah approaches with a mission from God and Elisha has a choice. And his choice is not between two things, but rather three things. Elisha can choose to stay exactly where he's at. He can choose to inherit the family fortunes. He can choose to have a nice, comfortable life. Or he can choose to go with Elijah, but keep the oxen and the plows as a backup plan, just in case this thing doesn't work out. Or he can be all in. And so what Elisha chooses is to have a bold allegiance. Elisha takes the oxen, a source of income, and he kills them. And then he takes the plow and he turns it into a gigantic barbecue pit. And he uses the fire to cook the ox and gives them to his family and basically says, see ya, I'm out of here. I'm all in with God. Now place yourself in that scene. Think about what you do for a living. Think about that thing you do that puts food on your table, that brings you comfort. Maybe you, for example, are a mechanic, and Billy Graham comes to you. Billy Graham, if you don't know who Billy Graham is, he's like the, the Protestant pope, right? He's like the biggest guy here in America. And, and, and Billy Graham comes to you and he says, you know what, I want you to come and I want you to be my student so that one day you can replace me with this amazing mission for God. And at once you go and say, you know what? You say goodbye to your family. You go down and burn your shop. You cook the spare parts over a fire that's blazing. You eat, the, well, that doesn't quite work out. But, <laughs> but basically, you're all in. You're all in. 
And that is what is happening with Elisha. He demonstrates a bold allegiance for God. He is all in, he surrenders all. There's no going back. I wonder for each of us in this room, you know, the reason we're doing this series called Bold is that sometimes I think that in the church we think that following God is all about playing it safe, that it's about doing the easy thing, and we often get bored. We come in and out of worship on Sunday mornings. We might get involved in a growth group in some community with one another, and those are good, amazing things, and we need to do those things. I'm not saying forget those things, but those things are not things we would necessarily call that exciting. But listen, having a boring life is not what Jesus has called us to. Trusting God, living for him should be a bold endeavor. Following God, being all in, having a bold allegiance to him should take us to places that we can only dream of going. Doing things that we can only dream of doing. Seeing God show up time and time again and use us in ways that are beyond our imagination. Listen, God wants to use each and every single one of us to change the world. And it starts with a bold allegiance to Jesus. It starts with an all-in mentality for him. Now what I wanna do with our remaining time is I wanna talk about how do we have that bold allegiance to God? What does it take? What's essential? And I have two points this morning. Two things that each of us are to do in order to have a bold allegiance to God. First and foremost, bold allegiance to God starts when you burn the plow and eat the oxen. If you look back in our story with Elisha, he burns the plow and eats the oxen. And I've mentioned this already, that it's an act of him not having a plan B. It shows that he's all in. But there's something deeper happening here. See, for Elisha, it's not just a financial decision. But if you look at the passage in verse 20, it says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye. He said, and then I will come with you. The kissing of his father and his mother, the burning of the plows, the killing of the ox is all about Elisha saying goodbye to the past. It's about Elisha saying, my old life is now gone. I'm done with my old life. I'm done with my own life. I'm living a new life for God. This series is called Bold, and I'm going to make a bold statement right here. You cannot live a bold allegiance to God unless you first die. That unless you give up your old life, unless you say, I am done with my past, I am done with my old way of living, you cannot have a bold allegiance to God. The truth is that in order to truly follow God, to be all in with him, you first have to die. And Jesus says the same thing in Luke chapter 9 verse 23 through 25, where he says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? We often talk about in the church this phrase, giving our lives to Christ giving our lives to Christ. And when we say that, we, we kind of throw that statement out and we, we think about that as this lucky, this happy-go-lucky, wonderful thing, right? It's like give your life to Christ and, and butterflies are gonna sing and flowers are gonna bloom, right? And, and if you give your life to Christ, it is going to be awesome and amazing. But, but look, just think about those words for a second. Give your life to Christ. What that means, it means dying to yourself and living for him. 
That is what Jesus is talking about when he says, if you want to be my disciple, that is, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross. Now, the cross is an instrument of death. For us, the cross is a symbol of love because of what Jesus did on it, right? We, we look at the cross, and it's a symbol of immense beauty. It's amazing. We, we take the cross, and we put it in, make it into gold, and we put it around our, uh, on our, around our necks, right, in a necklace. The, the cross to us is something beautiful, but in Jesus' day, when he says, pick up your cross, carry your cross, when Jesus were to say that, that was a symbol of death. Jesus is saying to us, you have to be willing to die to yourself. See, Jesus doesn't want just part of you. He doesn't want just an hour on Sunday mornings or even five hours if you're here early and you're setting up. He doesn't want just a part of your life. He wants all of it. I think so often in our lives, what ends up happening is this, is we live our lives and then we start getting involved in the church thing and we start doing a little bit of Jesus thing and instead of just you know, dying to our old lives, what we end up doing is we have our lives and then we add Jesus on top of it. We just put a little bit of Jesus on top. We still have our old lives, but we have just a little bit of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't want just our lives with a little bit of him. He wants all of our lives, every part of it. There's a famous theologian named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He too was famous for having a bold allegiance to God. And his bold led him to be put in jail in Nazi Germany where he would eventually die rather than give in to the demands of the Nazi regime. See, one of the things that happened in World War II during Nazi Germany is the church during that time decided to align themselves with Nazism. And so most Christians in that day were following Hitler. But there was a few that stood up and said, this is not of God. This is not what Jesus would ask us to do. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of those people. And because he had a bold allegiance to Christ and he stood up for Christ, they put him in jail. And then eventually he would die in that jail cell. And one of his famous quotes was this. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. In summary, it's this. When Jesus comes and calls us to follow him, the first things he asks of us is that we would first die. Now, it may be a death like that of Elisha who had to leave home and work to follow God, or it might be death like Martin Luther who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world, or it could be a death like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who literally died for his faith in Christ. But every time, it's all the same. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man, the death of my old self, and a new life in Jesus Christ. It means that my life is not worth it anymore. I'm not doing that life anymore. I'm not going the same way that I went before. I want a new life in Jesus. I am all in with him. And so let me ask you a question from the passage of Luke. Have you died yet? Jesus says those who try to save their life will lose it. What use is it to gain the entire world but lose your very self? Meaning, for so many of us, while we might claim with our lips that we want to follow God, we might claim that we want to be sold out for him, that we're all in, for so many of us, we have not yet completely died to our old way of life. For so many of us, we're, we're holding on to our old life with, with a death grip. We're not wanting to let it go. We're holding on to parts of the world. Well, we might say we have an allegiance to God. In all reality, we have aligned ourselves with other things. Maybe in your life it's a sin, something that you're doing, something that you know is not godly, that that you're just not willing to surrender yet. Maybe you've given 95% of yourself to Jesus, but there's that one thing that you're still holding on to. It's a plow that you have not yet burned. It's an ox that you have not 
been eaten, that you have not eaten. Maybe it's an addiction to drugs or alcohol or sex. Maybe it is food or that stuff on the computer screen that you can't have not put to death yet. Maybe it's bitterness and a lack of forgiveness when you, and you just keep holding on to that bitterness because you're so accustomed to being angry with that other person that you're not sure what life would be like if you actually forgave them. Maybe it's that relationship that you shouldn't be in anymore that God wants you to put behind you. Maybe it's that gossip that you're engaged in on Facebook that you need to move on from. Maybe it's that thirst for comfort and for money uh, where you're putting your hope and your joy in what is or is not in your bank account. In each of our lives, there's stuff, there's junk, there's mess that God's saying, hey, you need to give this to me. You need to die to that. You need to put that behind you. Now, maybe you in this room, maybe it's not current sin. Maybe there's not something you're currently struggling with. Maybe there's sin in your past. There's regrets and there's mistakes that you've made in the past and you cannot forgive yourself. You know intellectually that God has forgiven you because of what Jesus has done on the cross that, that you have been forgiven and co- forgiven completely but you can't forgive yourself. And you're unable to put that past behind you. You're unable to let it go. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what your plow is. I don't know what your ox is. But God does, and he has been speaking to you about it. He's been saying to you, hey, yeah, you've done great. You've given 95% of yourself to me, but I want it all. I want every part. I want you to die. I want you to die to that sinful life. I want you to die and let go of those regrets. I want to make you new. I want to give you a brand new life. Listen, if you want to have a bold allegiance to God, you have to put the past behind you. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, 13 through 14, but one thing I do, one thing, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The one thing, forgetting the past, putting the past to death and living in a new life in Christ. You know, that was the question truth be told, that I had to wrestle with in my own life. In 1997, you know, I had been basically doing the exact same thing that so many of us doing. I, I, I was living my life, and I had started going to church. I started doing the Jesus stuff, and I started adding Jesus on the top of what I was already doing. And there was a moment in 1997 where I realized that that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough that if I really wanted to experience true life and joy, that you know what I had to do? I had to give all of myself to Christ. I had to give all of myself. I had to be all in. And so there was a moment for me in 1997 when I had to surrender, where I had to throw my hands up and say, God, my life is no longer about me. It's no longer about my wants, my desires, my needs. It's all about you, and I'm gonna live my life for you. And truth be told, I mean, my, wife, my life has been crazy since that decision, as I've gone and just followed God wherever he asked me to do. And it hasn't been always, always easy, but it's been worth it. I mean, the reason we are here in Peoria is because we had a bold allegiance to God. God said, go. And we said, okay, we're gonna be here. It's why Russ and Tina are here, because God said, go. There's a bold allegiance to God. And they said, go, and they were here. And they followed God no matter where, um, uh, where, where, we, were call- where we were called. And so the question you have to ask is this. 
If you're gonna have a bold allegiance, are you willing to burn the plow and eat the oxen? Are you willing to die to your dreams, to your hopes, to your life, so that God can fill you with something better? Which leads us to the next thing. The next thing we have to understand is if we wanna say, um, once we've said goodbye, the next thing we need to do is we need to follow something better. We need to follow something better. Back in our passage in 1 Kings, in verse 19, it says, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now, this cloak was more than just something that kept Elijah warm. It was a symbol of God's anointing on Elijah. It was a symbol of God's presence with Elijah. And here in verse 19, Elijah takes his cloak and he places it on Elisha. It's a way of God saying, hey, come and follow me and my presence will be with you. In fact, in the book of 2 Kings, after Elisha has turned from Elijah, we read that as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elisha went up to heaven in a whirlwind. By the way, Elisha's one of the only two people in the Bible who actually never dies. And this is the scene where he doesn't die. God just takes him out of this earth. That'd be awesome, by the way. I, I love to die that way. But, uh, or not die, but just go up to Jesus. And in the verse 12, it says, Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. And then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over it. Notice in 2 Kings, after now Elijah is gone, Elisha is now becoming the prophet, and the cloak comes back on the scene. The cloak of Elijah was now in the hands of Elisha. And if we were to take time this morning and trace the life and the ministry of Elisha, after this moment, you would discover a man who, because of his bold allegiance to God, was used by God in some amazing ways. He performed miracle after miracle. Uh, right after this, he's going to purify water of a city that's been poisoned. The, the people are dying in this city because the water is poisoned. And Elisha comes on the scene, and he, he completely purifies the water. He, he, um, later on, he's going to raise a young boy to life after death. He's going to have a, a situation where he's going to uh, miraculously see God provide oil for a widow and her son who are destitute, who have nothing. And one of the things you're going to see is, and, and later on, he's going to even uh, speak boldly for God. He challenges the kings to follow God. He chastises the religious leaders of the day for turning their back on God. Over and over and over again, you see the result of his bold allegiance for God and the amazing results from it. Elisha becomes a prophet even greater than the one who apprenticed him. He becomes a prophet greater than Elijah. And Elisha didn't just have a life where all of a sudden he died to himself and gave up his comfort. No, God brought him into something greater something better. It was a bold allegiance to the things of God, and in that he got to experience amazing and wonderful things. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And that life that Jesus is talking about in John chapter 10 is a life that's promised because Jesus says, I'm going to send another counselor another helper, and that helper is the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God in our lives. And just like the cloak of Elijah was the presence of God in Elisha's life, 
The Holy Spirit is the very presence of God filling us, guiding us, and empowering us in this life, giving us a life that we could only imagine. And when you have a bold allegiance to God, when you are all in for him, he fills you with his presence in such a way that God will use you to do amazing and miraculous things over and over and over again in this world. And you, God, will use you to change the world. See, God's heart is to change the world. God wants to see people come to life in a relationship with his son. And I'm gonna say something shocking. Here's the really scary idea. But God's plan for doing this, God's method for changing the world to seeing people find a relationship with Jesus is the church, is the church. It is you and I, you and I living boldly for Jesus. And you know what? There, that's plan A and there is no plan B. There is no plan D. Plan B. And if you're worried about this, think, I mean, think about that. God is gonna use us to change the world. And there is no plan B. It rests on us and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And that's kind of scary, but here's the thing. What's amazing about that? It's the only thing that ever has changed the world. In the history of time, it's the only thing that's changed the world. It has been men and women with a bold allegiance to God who have changed the world. Men like Elijah and Elisha. People like Moses and David. People like the Apostle Paul who spread the good news of Jesus all over the ancient world. People like William Wilberforce, because of his bold allegiance to Jesus, got the slave trade to be illegal throughout the world. It was bold Christians who brought the idea of human rights to the world, who established democracies, who placed a value on women and children where none had existed before. It was followers of Jesus who started a movement of hospitals worldwide. Hospitals didn't really exist before Christians got on the scene, and now people were living for Jesus, and people were having hospitals to bring their sick to, where people could get healing. And it was all because bold people who had a bold allegiance to Christ who were just trying to please an audience of one who were all in for Jesus. They weren't trying to please people. They were just trying to please God. And as I think it, go through this list, if you're thinking, well, those, those people are amazing. They did some amazing things in our midst. I can't believe, yeah, that's not my life. I could never do something like that. Let me tell you some other stories. We have some friends in Wisconsin, where we came from. Uh, their names are the Finstads, Nate and Leah. And who, because of a bold allegiance to Christ, have been called by God to move themselves and their five children with a six on the way, all under the age of 12, to move to Guinea, Africa, to share the message of Jesus there. Nate left a great job um, uh, where he was successful, doing a great job, but felt called by God to go. And so they're in the process right now of support raising, and they're after actually off to school down south learning the language, which is French. So then the next year they can move their six kids to Guinea, Africa, to go and share Christ with people there. Or I think about Jen Wamsley, a woman from this campus, because of her bold allegiance to Jesus, spent nine months uh, a year and a half ago uh, overseas helping women escape the horror of sex trafficking. And she was so moved by that experience that she got back. She was here for like a week. She's like, I'm going back. It was like no, a no-brainer. And so she got back. She started fundraising again. And now she's in uh, Australia uh, working with an organization called YWAM Youth for a Mission. And, and she uses, uh, she likes to dance. And so they have a dance ministry where she goes around the country, goes around the world. They dance and people come to Jesus. Just gone. She's just like, see a family. I'm out of here. Bold allegiance to Christ. Or I think about Molly Sufister, who's here who works in our office, and because of a bold allegiance to Jesus, decided, hey, you know what, I'm also a uh, hairdresser, 
And so I can start a ministry for homeless vets and give them haircuts for free so that they can look good for job interviews. Normal people like you and me who do amazing things for God because of a bold allegiance to Jesus. I wonder in this room what God would do in us and through us if we would just burn the boats. If we would just say to God, I'm all in with you. I surrender my life. I'm gonna die to myself, my wants, my desires, and I'm gonna live for your mission, your glory. I'm gonna align myself with you. And I'm gonna be filled with your spirit. You're gonna empower me, God, to do things that are beyond my wildest dreams. The question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is this. Where does your allegiance lie? Where does your allegiance lie? Are you following the ways of this world? Are you gr gr uh, grabbing hold of things that are not of God? Or, or, will you say to God, I'm all in for you. God, I'll go where you call me to go. I'll do what you call me to do. I'll give up what you're calling me to give up. Because God, I know in you there's a better life. There's a, a more filled life. There's a life of joy and awesomeness as we don't live a boring life, an exciting life as God moves in us. An encouragement to use to burn the plow, eat the ox, and follow something better. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning and this opportunity we've had just to come before you and just rest and reflect on who you are and what you've done. And God, we thank you that, uh, we thank you for Jesus who makes it possible to have a life that's full, a life that's not boring, a life that's exciting as we move out in mission for you. And God, I do pray that for each and every single one of us, Lord, that God, that you would mess with us. God, that you would mess with our hearts. That God, that you would reveal to us, Lord, the areas, Father, where we have not died. The areas where we have been holding on to this world. Where we've been holding on to sin and junk and mess. Things that are not of you. God, help us to know where there's areas of even regret where we've had a hard time forgiving ourselves as you have forgiven us, Lord, so that we can move forward. God, I pray that you would, God, that you'd convict, of us of our, convict us of our need to surrender, to say we're all in for you. And God, then I pray that you would help us, that you would empower us by the power of your Holy Spirit, your very presence, to follow something better. God, that you would use each and every single one of us in this room to go places and to do things that are beyond our dreams right now. <clears throat> God, that you would use us as you have used the church throughout history to change the world for Jesus Christ. God, I pray, God, boldly, Lord, that you would use us to change the city for Jesus. God, that, that, that thousands and thousands of lives would be transformed by God, by God, what you're gonna do in this room with these people. 
God, that you would move in such a powerful way in our midst. God, that, that, that nothing would stop it. God, that you would just move mightily through us and in us. God, we don't want to live boring lives. We don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to live in the mundane, Lord. We want to experience your, you and what that looks like and, and life and excitement. God, I, God, I want to be like the Finstads who, who are dropping everything and taking six kids to Guinea, Africa. We're just like, God, God's calling them to go, and so they go. God, I, God, I want to live a life like that. That's all in for Jesus. I want to live a life like Elisha who gave it all away, who gave it all up for the call of following Jesus with a bold allegiance, Lord. Give us a bold allegiance to you. May we be all about having an audience of one, a pleasing one person, and that's you, Lord Jesus. May our lives look like that, where everybody around the world would see us and say, those people have an allegiance to Jesus. They are all in for Jesus. May that be our testimony. May that be our story, that we are all in for you, that we are all in for you, Lord God. us to do that. We can't do that in our own strength. We can't even do that in our own power. We can't will that to happen. We need you to move, and we need you to work in our hearts and our lives. So God, we pray desperately, boldly, come. Come have your way as we give our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray.